Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. to twig uh this is already right. starting off to be a very uh <laughs> exciting twig eric is not happy that ethan excited to be back at all on tokenomics podcast so dude he called us all out hey i wasn't in turkey called us all i wasn't, out. Turkey. Turkey. I wasn't out. spreading lies about bridges yeah. <laughs> so what, what what what's the call out ethan what what did uh, eric say wrong so look i was listening while running some errands and as you were describing, not the not the conjecture about how it happened, more just like the specific mechanics of what it means to rob a bridge and why there were parts, and I would didn't take notes, so I'm I'm gonna have to come back to you. Give me a like, break. That's not quite right. That's not quite right. <laughs> but if you listen to the Tokenomics podcast, no, that just came out today. We're talking right now. Uh, Anton, Anton, and I take forty minutes step by step just to explain the tech, the different pieces of tech. What's a side chain versus an L2? 
what, why all that okay. money was sitting in a bridge. Okay, but what did I say that, that was incorrect? I can't that was, what, what did I say I that was remember. No, give me a break. What did I say that was objectively incorrect? Because also, I, I, first of all, I preface it with I'm not a crypto expert, right? Yeah, this yeah. is the that stuff is that I glean yep, from. Yep, that's good. <laughs> yeah, this is, but also like I just it, I was talking about it in a very in very like, broad terms, right? Yeah, I think I think again, I'm sorry to sound if, as if I'm you know talking out of my mouth. Like I need to listen to it again because it was just uh, some of the details I think mischaracterized the, how the tech worked or how the tech how all right, the all right, theft all right. happened. Let's let's move on, and I'm demanding an apology on the next tokenomics okay, podcast because I think we did not make any big glaring mistakes it was clearly mavis's fault that this thing happened oh, they are responsible uh, yeah, for all the security around this thing it was likely an inside job has been not confirmed by the press but just seems obvious from every expert i've talked to in the space and you know and they just raised another 150 million dollars to, to, to pay, pay for it yeah but that's that i mean that, that the main point i was getting to was what do they have to do to reimburse users, right? Because they've said that they were going to reimburse users. And I said they either have to raise equity or if they, they have to take a vote to use treasury funds to reimburse. And that's it. They raised equity, right? So like I, there they was two. Both. They, they, only, they only raised $150 Right. Okay. But the other technical, the, other, the only other technical aspects of this that I even brought up were, and this was just what I gleaned from reading about it in like 30 seconds, was that they went. They moved to proof of stake because it was it was cheaper to do that, which is that's objectively true. That's not that's not false. So it's and so they, they they moved to a side chain that they built themselves, um, and the way they set up that side chain made it easy for a hacker to exploit. That's what it was. So it wasn't explicit. They didn't move. So it was moving off of Ethereum onto a side chain, and specifically the creation of a bridge which escrows items off Ethereum. For use okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. inside of, we're not talking yeah. about this. No, no, no. Yeah. Stop, stop. That was stop. that was we're the not part. Down this. You've you've jogged my memory. That but, was the part. No, but that's that's what I said. They they built a bridge. They, they had to build a bridge because. Well, and then the other the other piece is that they had fewer nodes than is recommended for for. Correct. Uh, and yeah. that's what I said. That's all I said. And I got that was, from the articles that I read. But like I wasn't. Okay. Well, these no one cares. No one cares. Stop. <laughs> okay, we can we can say this for the crypto corner stop. at the end. Okay. <laughs> no, but, but hold on, because uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. just one second, one second, because there was a good piece that I wrote, or I, I read, sorry. Uh, Man, Eric won't give no, it up. No, hold on, hold on. I'm dude, not, he's, like, he's like a dog with no, a no, bone, no, okay. dude. Me this time. <laughs> I know, no, but this is, this is something that I read after we talked that actually goes into this in like great detail, like how bridges work yeah. and why they're needed. It's called, the title of the piece is Blockchain Bridges, How the Smart Contract Pinata Works and Why Bridges yeah. Keep Getting Hacked. And I would recommend anyone yeah. read that because it's specific to this hack but it goes through uh, the, the mechanics of a bridge in, in great detail. Yeah, as we do on tokenomics, which you can listen to on this fine <laughs> podcast network. Okay. Anyways, how okay. was Turkey? Okay. How was Turkey? Moving on. So, yeah. uh, Turkey was awesome, right? I have a few notes. Uh, Mishka can't be here because he's planning the next event. Maybe Tel Aviv. We don't know for sure. But he's planning the next event because I, I it went over. I thought it went over really well. Um, but... Uh, but anyway, I have a few notes because I met a lot of people that we've been talking to on the Slack channel for like, what, the last two and a half years or even longer. Um, and I've never met any of these people in person. So it was really amazing. And first, this is going to sound very American and I apologize ahead of time, but it is amazing to see how worldwide this industry is, you know, 
I think part part of it's the pandemic has made us even more myopic in our thinking in the U.S. But or maybe it's just me because I've been sitting in this basement for too long. But but like these speakers that were coming to this event were like the United Nations, you know, like it was Mishka and Joachim and Anton from Finland, the two Eric's and Chris from the U.S., Elad, Nimrod and, and Shafaf. I don't know how to pronounce his name. They're from Israel. Sophie was from France, Javier from Spain, Matej from Slovakia, and Ryan from Singapore. So it was like people all over the world coming together, you know, in, to uh, to put this event together. Uh, and also some special event, uh, special guests that we'll talk about in a moment. But I wanted to like take a moment to just describe some of these characters because I thought I thought they were the, probably the most interesting part of the whole event. I mean, besides getting ripped apart by the big fat hairy Turkish guy when in the bath, but um, but anyway, uh, Matej and his partner in crime Felix, they basically are basically the pen and teller or frickin' frack. Dude. They do a podcast together. Uh, you know, Matej is trying to take a break from his three month old, similar to Adam, you know, trying to get the hell away. And Felix was just along for the ride, dude. Felix is a total character. He is one of those guys that comes to the party uninvited, <laughs> but no one cares because because everyone wants him around, right? That type of guy, but. Besides the, the times in which he unwound his man bun, and I threw up on my mouth a little bit, uh, he was awesome to hang <laughs> out with. I have not and, seen uh, uh, the man bun unwind at any of the... In, in, oh, he's a colleague of mine. It, but. it was freaking grotesque. It was <laughs> grotesque. Please don't do that again, Felix. Um, Sophie Vo, absolutely a force to be reckoned with. Super mellow, deliberate, to the point. When she starts speaking in her deep French tones, it was uh, mesmerizing. Um, Elad and Shafaf, I think, from Israel. I took a, a I think a cab ride to the uh, airport with these guys. Um, and they are just like the epitome of entrepreneurs, right? These guys, anything is possible, right? And they're experts at getting shit done. Anton from Play. I think this is the most, most stoic motherfucker I've ever goddamn met, dude. The guy is like, his sarcasm, his sarcasm, sorry, his sarcasm, He's so deadpan. You can't really know whether he's being sarcastic or not. It's impossible, right? Um, I, I, I think Joachim gives him a run for his money in, in stoicism. No, no. Well, all right. Let's just yeah, I feel like Eric has just never been. Yeah, maybe. maybe. It's, it's it doesn't really count. He's just kind of a weird Is that weird what it thing. is? Right. <laughs> Stray dog. Yeah. But, 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 with, but the difference between Anton, I guess, and, 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 and Joachim is that I, I just know that his mind is spinning and judging, 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 <laughs> judging, right? You know, he's just like on on point, you know? And so you just gotta be careful around that guy, right? But Anton, I really enjoyed hanging out with him a little bit. Javier, dude, I've been talking to this guy for a while on, 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 on the Slack channel. And dude, if I saw this guy late at night, it would be scary as fuck, dude. The guy is just jacked, right? He has prison tattoos up and down his arms. He has like the finger tattoos, you know, and you would think these tattoos say die, 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 right? But then you start talking to him and he's a total teddy bear, right? He's just the nicest guy in the world. He's kind of even jolly, if I were to say. And and I think he is by far the best speaker of the entire bunch in terms of public speaking. The guy was amazing. All right, first of all, first um, of all, uh, he doesn't have prison tattoos. You can't say that. They look like they could be. They're not from prison. He didn't get them in prison. He didn't get them. That's what I said. Job. You I said he has that? prison tattoos. You said he you meant to say that. But there, just to be clear, I, I don't believe he's been to prison. <laughs> so I don't he, think you can just no, he, he announce was a, that. A wrestler. No, I, he was a wrestler, right? I, I kept saying he was an MMA fighter, and he was offended by that. But the fact is, like, he was he was a wrestler, right? And so, like, that's, I don't know. He's, he's intimidating looking, but not intimidating. 
Um, and then a quick shout out to Miss Laura Taranto. <laughs> Taranto. From Big Fish. Uh, Taranto. <laughs> is it Taranto? <laughs> Whatever. Anyway. Uh, I, I sat with her at dinner. Man, she gave out this total Sarah Silverman vibe, you know. And basically just showing that you can't take, you can take the girl out of New York, but not the New York out of the girl. But uh, she was she was cool. And then Joachim, dude. That guy is like the wise wizard of interactive, dude. He is like, I mean, he clearly must read a lot. Certainly more than I do, which is not not. Can you much, read? But he has. Can you like, read, Chris? No, I really can't. Maybe like three or four pages. Of I thought it was audible, audible anyway. everything. Yeah, audible. I feel, I feel exactly. like this no, is just totally. like Eric, who's yeah. just never left uh, the house. All of a sudden, being like, I've, I have friends now. I've met like six no, people I've, in life, and these are the greatest people I've ever met. Uh, Maybe 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 it's hanging out with you losers too much or I, something. Like at least I met, I met some yeah. interesting people. Finally, it, this is know? just like a um, kid coming home from summer camp yeah, and telling yeah. his mom like who he hung yeah. out with for the summer. Exactly. And exactly. my girlfriend. But yeah. The last one. All right, enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the last one is Mishka, and I'm glad he's not on because I'm going to give him three big compliments. And I swear this is the last time I'm ever giving him a compliment. Um, first of all, he's fucking huge. Like, the guy is massive. Not only is he, like, totally buff, he's totally shredded, right? And it almost looks like a fake, like, you know those, like, why, old why uh, are we talking action figures this? in the 80s? <laughs> I think Eric spent the whole week picturing Javier yeah, and Mishka like... wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move forward. All Let's right, move. I will stop giving him uh, give, compliments. Give Mishka his props. Yeah. Give him his props. I'm giving his props. All right. The fact is, what Mishka has been building over the last three or four years, I don't know how long he's been building this thing, was really amazing. It kind of culminated into this event. So all these people that came, this is the point of this whole thing, right? Looking around and seeing all these people from all these different cultures coming together at, a, at an event like this was absolutely, I thought it was kind of amazing, right? Because Mishka's been working his ass off to build this, this network of people, and they all came together. And it's because Mishka is like this type of person that he may not be the brightest bulb in the... In, <laughs> It, it, but he, he has the ability to get everyone to come and, and contribute and do these type of events. So I'm actually looking forward to these next events because I think they are pretty incredible. And I'm, I really do. I finally do appreciate Mishka and his ability uh, uh, to get all this stuff together. So anyway, that's all I really wanted to say. But great event, great people, um, really smart in their own disciplines and um, looking forward to the next one. And I'm hoping Adam I'm not shredded, so I guess I'm not going to get a compliment. <laughs> it I, no. I can say it was it was a great event um i you know i was super excited to go and then like i you know i just realized i cannot be like off the grid for a week like i just i was no way to stay on top of work i was it was like too much i can't <laughs> i can't do that but uh i'm i'm happy i did it and also it's like i don't know it's maybe like covid changed my mentality about this kind of stuff but i just have like no desire to go to these conferences so i went to, i went to gdc for a day I'm going to another conference for a day next month. Like, it, I just don't care to be there and like schmooze and go to dinners and stuff. It's just not. Dude, you were out to like four in the morning, dude. You're the only one that like <laughs> actually participated. Well, no, it wasn't just me. But I would say I was shocked at how much of an effort it was to get people to go out. Like everyone was being uh, uh, like just just lackadaisical about like oh, I don't know we're just gonna have you're gonna have a drink at the hotel bar and go to bed at eleven like what's the why like if you're gonna do it do it if you're gonna go you know go all out what do you do? I, I, just to conclude here I think part of it's because we have been stuck in home for so long and I think these events are amazing and I'm 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 glad I went and now having said that E3 <laughs> the next update 
E3 has been canceled. Not a big surprise. Uh, I don't even know if this ever comes back in its its you know previous form. Um, I personally will miss it. I actually do like these events. Um, I only usually go to one or two events a year, so this was one of the big ones. But I don't think really the, one of the purposes of E3 over the years is basically to prove how big the video game industry is. I don't think we need to prove that anymore, and and so this event has less uses. But I'm not going to go into the, all the different reasons why E3 doesn't make sense anymore. Um, one quick update um, and correction. Uh, during the GDC event with App Annie or Data AI or what the hell they're called, um, I was called out by uh, Archie um, uh, from uh, Play, right? Makers. He was basically. Oh, Makers, sorry. I made the assertion that shooters would be a, haven't been really, haven't been really impacted as much by IDFA, um, um, and that more mass market games would not be would sorry would uh, um, avoid the Ragnarok that was created by Apple with all this ATT crap. Well, the data does not. I was mistaken. The data really does not suggest that that shooters are are in any way like some uh, immune to this. Like both downloads are down for shooters, and revenue has been down. I think like. 20% in the first quarter in the US, which is insane, insane, like how much that's bad, how bad that is that revenue is down for shooters. The overall market is down like 12% in Q1, shooters are down 20. Um, so it's clearly not immune. And, and we have tons of shooters coming into the market. So so he was right. Uh, um, and I just wanted to make- Do, do, that, you, know, do you know what that, that like is downloads down 20%? Is that this just revenue, right? Downloads are down 15% in Q1, but they were down also, I think, in Q4 okay. as well. I didn't check. What, but I don't know if you can trust that data anymore. Like, because the, the, um, the, yeah, I guess you all saw the, the Sensor Tower report, right? That showed like uh, downloads were way down, revenue was way down for mobile gaming. Um, but it showed that like Google was down more than Apple. It, I, I just, it just felt the numbers felt suspect. I don't have them in front of me, and I'm not going to pull an Ethan and, uh, and just uh, snipe on on the reporting without uh, being familiar with what was written, uh, but but yeah, it just seemed very suspect. The and I'm I'm wondering if like these numbers became less trustworthy as a result of ATT, right? Like if their ability to to poll and use panel data um, became uh, kind of degraded. I, and I I haven't spent much time thinking about why, but maybe it did. Um, but it just it just felt very suspect. I mean, it, that's all possible, but since. App Annie and the Central Tower are both kind of reporting the same trends. Or I got to actually confirm about App Annie. Well, but but um, but it showed Android before. being uh, having having sort of having a, a bigger sort of decrease in install and revenue, and and so that's okay. Then that's a COVID thing, right? Then that would because it was year over year. It was quarterly should, year over year. No, COVID, we should COVID, come to that. COVID we should come that on the next week. We've got time to actually look at the report and and come back to it. Huh? No, no, but yeah, but I'm saying Eric, it was yeah. it was Q4, 2020. One compared to Q4 2020, so it could have been a. Uh, oh no, I, I'm not talking. Well, that's not mm. what I'm talking. I'm talking Q1. So, sorry, sorry, I it think, was Q1 to Q1, but it was it was year over year. It wasn't Q4 to Q1. Yeah. No, no, I know, I understand, but the, the the COVID wasn't an impact back in Q1 of so, last year. But in terms of, but in terms of IDFA before. impact, anyway. right? I think the predominant thought that everybody assumed when IDFA came in was that. The mass market games, sorry, hyper casual games, and 4x hypercore um, social casino would be the largest impact to IDFA. When we look at the sensor tower data, which we can of course poke holes at in the next uh, podcast, right? It's 
it suggests actually some of the genres that are being impacted are not necessarily following that kind of uh, um, assumption, right? So shooter, down 20%. Yeah. Um, RPG, down 20%, right? Tabletop games, up. Hyper-casual, up by, by single digits, but still up relatively, right? Um, so I guess, does that, does that theory that still 4X social casino and hyper-casual will be the most impacted still hold up? Or no, I I think the, everything holds up except for hyper casual. So but, we were, I was wrong about that. I thought the hyper casual. Well, well no, but because of fingerprinting, right? But 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 the thing is, there's a spectrum. Like that was part of my presentation at the Istanbul event. Like there's there's gradations, right? So mm -hmm. it's a spectrum. And yeah, the the the, the first furthest extremes of the spectrum are going to be most impacted. But there's impact across the entirety of the spectrum. My 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 sort of um, thesis in my presentation. Uh, was that, you know, there's going to be, the, which I've written about, you know, over the last year, was that there's going to be like a shift to the middle, right? Like the more mass market, like kind of mid ARPU, mid DAO sector of that spectrum. But like the, the high ARPU, low DAO, and the high DAO, low ARPU, both of those extremes are going to get hit the worst because it's almost like a circle that bends mm -hmm. back around, right? And, and there was like a symbiotic relationship between those two, those two ends of the spectrum. Um, and and hypercasual is kind of staying afloat because of fingerprinting. But ultimately, like when, you know, the, the, however many octopus shoes drop, um, I think, you know, that that'll be impacted in the same way that you'd expect. But there's impact across the entirety of the spectrum. It's not like isolated. But I'm assuming regions. shooter actually falls closer to hyper casual than it does. Like it, it, that is the lower ARP DAO. Sorry, go ahead. But the, yeah, is it right? And the whole the whole notion is it's, it's the organics are really high, you know, the, the and, and, and yeah, and it's it, it attracts the broadest audience possible. So it is a little bit surprising that shooters were impacted at all, and it may be a product bring. But let's yeah, let's let's dive yeah. into it a little bit more. Because I'm assuming it's it's higher DAO, lower ARP DAO, just based um, on RPI. That RPI is reaching a dollar after a year, pretty right. slow growth, um, and or pretty high DAO. All right, Adam, why don't why don't you continue on your activities while you're taking care of your three and two two and a half year old too. Um, anyways, so my updates. Uh, Elden Ring. I've now made it to the final boss. It took me about sixty hours. Um, wow, yeah, congrats! No, incredible game. I know both Eric's hated it. That's fine. <laughs> it was exactly the game that I needed at this time. Um, but no, uh, there's a great article on Ars Technica putting that twelve mil mil million units um, benchmark in perspective relative to launch. Um, just because that that 12 million unit numbers uh, within that two week period looks like it's actually a contender for you know 12 20 million plus units, um, putting it at the same echelon as something like a Cyberpunk and higher than a GTA 4, uh, but lower than a GTA 5 and Red Dead Redemption 2, which of course is incredible for um, a genre, uh, Soulsborne that I think most people thought was niche. Um, Wargaming has now backed out of Belarus and Russia. This was big news. Um, there. Um, Belarusian studio has announced that it will cease operations as well as uh, Minsk. It expects to suffer substantial losses as a result of this decision and it has started the process of closing its office, or sorry, it, it is transferring the management of these studios um, to Lesta Studio, which is formerly Wargaming St. Petersburg, which it will no longer be affiliated with. Um, to me, it's unclear exactly what this means. Uh, it mentions that this is transferring live game services, um, implying not games, because I'm assuming this is not like transferring World of, of Warships or something like that. Um, this sounds like it's, it's 
transferring services to the studio. But again, I'm not really exactly sure. Um, this is obviously the right call given the political um, situation. Obviously, a very terrible situation, um, but one that they had to make. Uh, just begs the question about other Russian developers and how they will be able to handle this situation. Um, I, I don't look. Yep. By the way, I didn't. I didn't hate Elden Ring. I, I just. Uh, I'm trying to finish uh, Ghost of Sh- Tsushima. 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 Yep. Yeah. Tsushima. I'm trying to finish that first. I'll play it. I mean, I, I just kind of played around with it for 30 okay. minutes. Well, when it. you're ready for it, I'll help you out, get you on your track, and then it's notoriously very, very uh, difficult in the beginning, but if you can get through that, it's enjoyable. Yeah, I watched like a, all I watched like a four-hour YouTube video of this guy like walking you through how to like get started and stuff. So I'm, I'm ready, but I'm just, I'm going to finish this other <laughs> just game. Just run first. away. You don't need four hours. Just there's, run there's away. All, there's all, there's all, <laughs> no, and there's all kinds of experience hacks where you can just kill shit and, and level up. Yeah. And, you can and, cheat and, like Eric or you can get, get what's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, Eric's, when in, when Eric's infamous, Eric's infamous quote, when the game gets hard, I cheat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, game right, fam has announced a funding round of 25 million. Um, so GameFam is a Roblox game developer uh, and publisher. So they produce games like Twilight Daycare. Um, I had the opportunity to meet this CEO, um, and I was pretty highly skeptical you at met the time Joe? about building games under Roblox's platform. Like Roblox's revenue share, if you're not aware, for professional developers is kind of ridiculous. You only like for any purchase, you're getting 25% of the revenue and 5% um, based on engagement. 30, 30. Well, no, no, but that's so. Go ahead. Sorry, but but you've got the numbers here. You've got thirty percent to Apple, and and that's I don't. I think most of the Robux are bought on on the web, right? Uh, yeah. So the developer economics, the latest page that I've t- seen this morning from Roblox, from the developer.roblox page, yeah. um, so says there's a twenty four percent fee to app stores and payment processing. 16.8 like it basically says developer share is 24.5 percent and then there's a 3.6 percent engagement based payouts um so of course this stuff can change there might be because of web payments that 30 percent goes away um but it's my understanding that the the majority of the revenues would still be going to roblox and platform yeah, no, the, the the economics for developers are very yeah. bad, right? But it, but if if there's no thirty percent fee, if it's bought on okay. the desktop, right? And I think most okay. are. Yep. Then then I'm wrong there. Um, so Roblox's tools are pretty sophisticated. You can build like real in-app purchase fueled live services for kids on Roblox. Game Game Fam has a game Poly Battle that's basically Battlefield. battlefield. Yeah, yeah. Like you'll yep. load into it and you'll say, oh, this Battlefield just with like blocky polygons, but it's yep. the same capture the flag and like has cosmetics and you can buy those cosmetics and there's other games that you can pay for power for these things it's it's battlefield 2 not not 24 (laughs) um but either way you can you can build you know great games in the service and roblox offers a lot more um than say first party in terms of building games um especially for kids with all the compliance Mm -hmm. that goes around it um but game fam has really grinded this space out you know even even under that shadow of, of a pretty low uh, development share, they've built out experiences that have spiked to the top of Roblox, figured out a model for um, identifying new games that can, and are expanding. Um, its games currently are at 15 million DAO worldwide, um, and you'll likely, while their net ARP DAO is likely low by mobile standards, this is still a pretty profitable mobile publisher. Um, so this round is well-earned. Uh, so I also have to give a shout-out to Play Ventures because they're li- literally in all of the good deals recently. And obviously, I'm very biased here 
because they invested in my startup uh, a while ago. So, and also this podcast is totally biased towards them because Miska is basically involved with them. Right. <laughs> so take this all with a very, very strong grain of salt, right? Um, but you know, look, so, the Play Ventures are in Game Fan. They're in key NFT studios. They're in esports. Um, Henrik and Hadi have done an excellent job hustling around and finding a lot of these uh, uh, great companies. But again, obviously, just a biased. quick, a quick note. Uh, Joe and I, the Game Fam CEO, went to the same high school. He's uh, he was in high school with my uh, older brother, actually, and uh, I email with him pretty frequently. So, congrats, Joe. He does have very similar man- mannerisms to you, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, to get even more detailed, we went to the same yeah. temple. He and my brother were in the same wow, okay. high yeah. school at high school. Yeah. Like he, uh, so uh, it's it's very funny. He's he's only a couple of years older than me, but uh, they're doing great. Uh, uh, some of the metrics I, we share. Yeah, I spoke to him after he was on the podcast. The guy's like a super evangelist for uh, for uh, Roblox. I'm actually I should catch up with him because the platform has come under some scrutiny, particularly on the public markets, <laughs> about their ability to grow. So. I'm wondering if he's still in that. Um, anyway. One big news from Ubisoft. Um, they have announced Rainbow Six Mobile, which is basically a Rainbow Six Siege-like tactical shooter. Um, but they've adjusted the art style to, say, be more Fortnite-y, quote-unquote, um, with, say, more comical-style characters. It's still too hard to say. But like, looks like they're recreating a lot of the same characters from Siege, maybe some additional Ubisoft characters from the past. Um, it... Rainbow Six Mobile will share an office with the Siege team in Montreal, um, So, but it's still an independent team focused specifically on this upcoming mobile title. So for me, immediately a flag. You didn't listen to the podcast. You didn't <laughs> You didn't bring on Tencent. Um, look, I, I hope Ubisoft is like, <laughs> if you did not bring on Tencent, as in Timmy or Lightspeed and Quantum, then I hope you are well aware of the live content requirements for this genre um, because I'm assuming they're going in as a PVP service fueled by cosmetics and events um, so study the shit out of Tencent's operations otherwise we will have another shooter that we've seen where they have not learned the lessons of these games um, and just have not been able to drive the RPI I, I, I am actually really shocked Adam that you actually didn't mention the most key point in this this is uh, the design is a 5v5 right so unique yeah. to the shooter but you know space. you know you know tencent and not, timmy well, can basically unique. build this mode in a week <laughs> no i i get it but i'm saying this is their differentiating sure sure but as the fundamental five. live model will so stay the same right which is that they have to launch all of these maps all of these gameplay modes right and when you look at something like cod mobile which has yeah, I mean, team deathmatch has 5v5 I, team deathmatch right i I'm not. I'm not debating the rest of what you said. I'm just saying you missed out the key point. There, I, I will say right now, there is no effing way they can execute against this. Period. End of sentence. It is going to be a train wreck. I, I will make that prediction now. There's just no way they can do it. Um, so moving on. Um, all right. I'll I'll I, I'll try and do my news stories real quick. Uh, one. Uh, was uh, Rockstar launches paid GTA online subscription called GTA Plus. And I just wanted to highlight this because I think it's so interesting that something we've been doing on mobile for years, which is in a live service game, offer a VIP service where you're getting kind of more, you're essentially giving the player a big discount in order for regularity of purchase. So, you know, we we have a VIP subscription like this in in, uh, Legendary 
as many uh, free-to-play games do. Uh, some people do it as a subscription. Some people do it as monthly passes that are effectively subscriptions or 30-day battle passes that are effective subscriptions. But uh, to me, this is just another part of the long arc of uh, free-to-play and live service tactics going ma- that started many years ago on browser and on Facebook going mainstream. And uh, the same way... Uh, I think uh, crypto games from their current state are going to get into that mainstream. T- 12 years from now, there's going to be a crypto-powered GTA online. It'll probably still be GTA Ethan, 5. Ethan, what the fuck did we talk about? What did we talk about? You do not put <laughs> shit like that in to stories about other things. You can have your crypto quarter bullshit, but you cannot add this shit to crypto- fucking GTA. Shut the G- fuck up, uh, Ethan. G- <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's let's right. move on. Anyways, uh, move on. So 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 so, so aggressive, Chris. By the way, Chris was not like this in the live. No, podcast. he did it on purpose, dude. He did it on purpose. I'm looking at his face. He knows he's doing this. He's doing this totally on purpose to mess with me, dude. And and the audience doesn't like it. So shut up. <laughs> That's true. All right, moving on. Uh, uh, d- d- two sentences. Unreal Engine Five's out. Tomb Raider announces an Unreal Engine Five. Uh, game, lots of samples uh, that people can explore. If I didn't have three kids, I'd be downloading this and exploring it right now because it looks really cool. I'm excited for, to play more Tomb Raider, just uh, and, and I'm excited about what uh, Unreal Five is going to bring to uh, uh, gaming. Excited to uh, you know, play more Tomb Raider. Are you eight years I, old, dude. The Tomb Raider, the modern Tomb Raider games. No, are great. the last, the last That's couple. Great. Yeah, the last couple games have been amazing. Yeah. But. You know what? There's I, no what I don't understand, there's a water I don't know anybody level. crystal and dynamic. <laughs> yeah, no water levels for me. <laughs> no, what what I don't understand is why is Crystal Dynamics sticking around with Square Enix? Like they feel like it's like a battered spouse thing, man. They just stick around, <laughs> oh, stick around. Dude, Square Enix has been beating on them. Every single game they come out with says it's a disappointment, disappointment, disappointment. Why would anybody stick around for that? I don't know. I mean, I have to get some inside scoop on what's going on over there, but I don't know. They, these guys make amazing games, but they. But Is Square it not Enix fully owned unhappy. by Square Enix? No, it's fully owned by Square Enix, as far as I know. Okay. Right, so right, moving on. you're saying why don't they perform a bungee and somehow extricate themselves from their... Uh, yeah, Dude, they, they're worth their weight in gold. You know, like, they could go anywhere, right? They don't need to stick around and deal with this, like, abusive spouse, right? Just move on. You know? They don't. They, they would lose Tomb Raider, but they do other things. You know how much money is out there for people like yeah. that? Anyway, whatever. All right, that's me. My advice. Uh, Sufer, you're up. Uh, yeah, um, this one just hit the newswire. Um, so, uh, gaming agency Loaded raises $20 million in funding, promotes new CEO. So, I didn't realize this uh, existed, but uh, this is like an agency, right? So, they represent game streamers and help them. Like, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know much about the business, but I, you know, just, I, just read, I can quote from the article. This is from one of the investors. Loaded sits at the intersection of gaming and influencer marketing, two growth sectors we have been following for a long time. Loaded is particularly well positioned to capitalize on the industry tailwinds in these sectors, given its exceptional client roster, strong management team, and reputation for providing white glove service to both its clients and partners in the gaming community. So um, I know that, um, oh man, what's the name of that that agency in uh, LA? There's like a talent agency that expanded into gaming like, 10 years ago 15 years ago or something and i think it didn't really work out but no it was no yeah was it It was the one with um the guy that was uh fictionally represented in entourage 
You know what I'm talking about? There's Ari uh, Gold and there was Ari Emanuel, or I think was the guy's real name in, in real life. Anyway, um, maybe CAA. Is that what you said, Ethan? Okay. Yeah, CAA. Uh, yeah, CAA. Right. Yeah, anyway, yeah. But, but they were representing game developers. They were, they were representing like game producers. Yeah. Um, and right. I, I didn't know that that model uh, continued to exist. Uh, um, I guess it does. And it's, you know, uh, just this company just raised, raised 20 million in funding. But, but these are not game developers. These are more like creators, right? So they're like streamers and... Yeah, this is like the Jerry Maguire for influencers. Yeah, so pretty pretty interesting. I, I mean, I don't have any commentary yeah. on this. I just thought it was... No, that is, I mean, that is interesting, that giving more power in the marketplace. It seems like influencers will just continue to get more and more power as time moves on. Sure. Anyway, but it's interesting. All right. I don't have a news story, but I, I, I promised that I would look into this EA glue merger and see what a disaster this has become. Um, and the data was actually even worse than I even imagined. Uh, just as a refresher, my assessment on this deal with EA and Glue was the valuation was absolutely ridiculous at the time, right? An amazing deal for Glue because they were cashing out uh, before the Ragnarok of the fact that they had no games in the pipeline, their, their games are getting older, um, and they needed an exit, right? There's nothing else for them to do in order to you know, continue any type of growth. Um, for EA at the time, it made sense because they wanted to scale, right, and, and build their existing business. And this gave them immediate scale uh, with three or four big games, you know. And <laughs> the assumption that I made, and I was actually wrong on this, is that they would continue to sport the big games with UA and Libots, right? It's like there's only three games that matter, right? right? It's Design Home, Tap Sports, and Kim Kardashian. Like how hard could it be, right, to keep these things going, right? And then, you know, Diner Dash and Sorcerer and a few others that were like adding. Um, and uh, but but anyway, I, I tried to figure out a way of looking at this like as objectively as possible. And there's really no way of doing it because it's a little bit dirty. But if you look at Q1 of 22 versus Q1 of 21, basically before and after they got their mitts on these on these products, you know, Design Home was down 40 percent. Kim Kardashian was down 35 percent. Tap Sports so far this quarter is down 50%. Disney is down 50 and Diner Dash is down 50, right? So they're overall, they are down 40 to 50% in terms of revenue, Q1 22 to Q1 of 21. I mean, it is like disaster. I mean, it's disastrous, right? Like I, what the fuck happened, right? Like how is it that they completely destroyed the entire value of this acquisition, like more so than the, it was. It was already overvalued to begin with. I, 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 I'm just, I, I'm, I'm blown away. I, I am blown away. All right. So what follows is a bit of speculation because I have no idea what the hell is going on, honestly. Right. Um, but one thing is very clear: they have blown up this acquisition in, in record time and record way. Right, in my opinion. Anyway, so clearly the big thing here is downloads are down. Right, it's obvious that UA was pulled from these games because there's Tap Sports was down 71% this year so far. Design Home is down 68% in terms of downloads. Kim Kardashian and Diner Dash are down 23 and 73. So anyway, what what looks like is a clearly reduced spend on these games. And and what I imagine, I mean, the the question you have to ask is why, right? Why would they reduce spend so much on these games that they just paid all this money for, right? And and why? And, and, and if they were doing this, they must have seen that they were spending unwisely, right? And so that's why they pulled spend. I, I 
obviously, right? But why wouldn't the diligence have been done on these games to begin with? Like, we ran these cohort analysis when I was at Kabam, and we would have known within like two hours of building a model with the data that this that you shouldn't be spending against these games. Like, they must have seen that this was costing too much to maintain, you know, and, and uh, uh, unprofitably, right? But yet they still acquired this company. So I, anyway, so I don't understand exactly how that is even possible, right? So, you know, IDFA may be likely culprit to some degree, but like that impact has been felt and, and you know, and, and like, look, things are getting more expensive. Maybe, maybe you can bake up, but they should have known that too, right? That is not, that's not a surprise for anybody that's been in this industry for the last like two years, you know? Um, you know, there's another reason, maybe some key people were leaving, you know, people that understand live ops, understand the UA for these games or something. I mean, there is clearly people leaving a lot. I've heard a lot, what specifically the tap sports team is evidently gone. Um, but why aren't these key people locked down? Right. You know, why, why, why would any of these key leave, people be leaving, you know? I mean, did anybody do any freaking <laughs> diligence on this company at all when they acquired them? I mean, that's the question I keep asking myself, right? Um, now, maybe EA's infrastructure is weak in terms of UA and live ops. I don't know. You know, maybe the organization just doesn't have the capability to maintain these games. But that doesn't make sense either, really, because they had the teams in place that understood yeah. how to maintain these games if they had kept them, right? For me, this seems like a complete fail of epic proportions that it kind of rests upon Jeff Karp, right, and his leadership team that acquired this company and lost 40% of the value in the first year, you know, and um, and also the people that did the, the uh, M&A due diligence. Now, I've done M&A due diligence at EA, at investment banking, at Kabam, and it's like, it is an arduous process of trying to figure out who the key employees are, who, you know, how are they spending? Is it are these games scalable? Can we maintain these games? Like it's it's a very very complex process of understanding, and it just seems that this team that did it must have not understood what these games were about and and how to continue to maintain them. And so, now to be clear, I've never liked this acquisition. Like from from you know just in general, I mean, I thought it was way too expensive, right? But for EA, it made sense at the time. But this was predicated on the idea that they could maintain the revenue of their forever franchises, right? Is it, I mean, that was table stakes. Do you like think, they needed to keep these you, revenue going. But it, without that, there's not, no, absolutely no reason to buy this company. Absolutely none. And it's an absolute train wreck. What do you got? Uh, just, I don't know. I'm trying to do devil's advocate. Is it possible All right, please. that there's a spreadsheet that says that the organic downloads of these games without UA will result in lower overall revenue, but better net revenue since they're all franchise or license based. Do you mean profit or do you mean net revenue? Like, uh, yeah. Do you think it's possible somebody did a spreadsheet exercise and said, if we pull all the marketing, it'll be more profitable. And that's why we should make this acquisition and like, could it be possible that pulling the marketing, reducing gross, and and getting more profitable was the strategy? I I don't know. I'm. I... <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. I mean, I I could see someone saying that. Right. right. We are spending way too much money right. on these games. They, they all have return, licenses. Right? They'll bring in org. Uh, I, 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 I probably. But if right? you... But the thing is that, but all that information was available right. before they did the acquisition. Right. Like. You, you know it by cohort, right? Whether or not like you're spending effectively what the organic right. ratios are, like, all that other stuff is all available, right? 
and and you they could tell whether they were spending profitably because the return periods are, are would be yeah. calculated etc it's like it seems like there's none of this diligence was done right. that's what it seems like that's, yeah. and that's all very very speculative because yeah. i have no idea but but the, but I, I hear what you're saying i mean but that was part of why you buy these things right. like tap sports baseball right you know like that that is and 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 design home and and these games are, are amazing yeah. like in terms of uh, of their reach right and and Anyway, I don't know, dude. Right. Uh, Adam? No, not really. You? I think you covered it. I think the, the data kind of speaks for itself, right? And all we can do is really speculate about why the drop in downloads, drop in likely UA spent. Um, so I don't know if I really want to speculate further than we already have. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I uh, th- this is just an example of one of those acquisitions that doesn't work. Eh, look, look, we saw what happened with Zynga, right? Zynga acquired many companies and were able to continue to scale them, right? Like, and... and and let them do what they do, right? And and part of it's because they looked at the data, I'm sure, and said, oh my God, we can scale this business, so let's buy these guys and scale these businesses, right? It's like, I mean, that that's the way this shit works, right? And so this clearly was not done for this in this case, right? Um, and, and, and again, this was part of the problem that Glue had looking forward is that their games are older and they are running out of users and spending is getting more expensive and payback periods are getting longer. Um, but if you're going to acquire something for $2.1 billion, you should know that, right? Anyway, all right, I have had, I've said enough. Um, anyway, I, I, yeah. I don't know why people aren't talking about this more either. And, and even on the Wall Street side, I haven't heard much about it. So, anyway. all right, um, moving on. What do we got now? Uh, why Netflix should sell ads, Eric? Oh, sorry, I was muted. Why Netflix should sell that. So this comes from Ben Thompson, Mr. Ben Thompson, uh, Stratechery, Stratechery. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. Um, Ben's a great guy. I've been on his podcast a couple of times. So Ben made the case, this was from Monday, I think, um, that Netflix should sell ads, right? So I'll quote from the piece. Above all, though, is the fact that advertising is a great opportunity that aligns with Netflix's business. While the company once won with a differentiated user experience worth paying for, today Netflix demands scarce attention because of its investment in unique content. That attention can be sold and should be, particularly as it increases Netflix's ability to invest in more unique content and or charge higher prices to its user base. Meanwhile, subscriber growth has stalled, even as the advertising market has proven to be much larger than even Google or Facebook can cover. Moreover, the post-ATT world is freeing up more money for the sort of top of funnel advertising that would probably be the norm on a Netflix advertising service. In short, the opportunity is there, the product is right, and the business need is pressing in a way that it wasn't previously. I agree with that to an extent, right? So I had written a piece a couple weeks ago um, called Netflix already operates an ad network, next step content fortress, crest triggered. Uh, and my, my argument there was that Netflix basically already runs an ad network, right? Every time you log into Netflix, everything you see is totally personalized. And that's not just like the top header hero graphic. It's everything. Everything about that page is personalized to you, right? And they run that at like an industrial scale, internet scale across the entirety of their, 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 uh, their user base, and they're really, really good at it, right? So there's a, a, an ac- there's a paper that some of their engineers wrote a couple years ago, and this is like six years old, where they said that they estimated the value of that personalization system at a billion dollars a year. So that personalization system basically saved them a billion dollars a year in subscriber churn, right? Um, and that was many years ago, right? So the, the, the 
this, the network has grown. Um, the sort of content base has grown to become more diversified, lots of uh, like non-English language films and stuff. And so they're able to do that personalization kind of in more, uh, you know, specific ways to audiences that are not just, you know, American English speaking, right? Um, and so my point, the piece was, yeah, sure, launch an ad network. That's, that's some boost, right? That's like a step change in revenue, but that ties to DAU directly, right? Like there's a direct like sort of relation, there's a linear relationship there with DAU, right? Ta advertising is, you know, is just uh, DAU times number of placements times uh, like CPM, right? Um, and, and so, you know, you could do that, but I think a better way to extract value from this ad network that already exists, right? It's just basically an internal ad network is to actually build the content portfolio and go outside of the Netflix app, right? Which the, by the way, they're doing. And I wrote this before they acquired next games. Right. Um, and I think it was before they acquired the studio before that, but they're building a content portfolio that goes beyond Netflix that includes a lot of games, right? So now what if you took that same personalization engine and you, uh, you, you sort of mapped it onto this other content that you're buying, right? And these are other apps too, right? Remember, Netflix's gaming portfolio is not Apple Arcade, right? Miska was saying it's Apple Arcade. It's not. It's more like an app loving, right? You've got all these apps that exist, you know, as independent sort of app downloads. Um, and in, in a lot of cases for app loving, they're not published by app loving. And there's actually no app loving publisher. It's fine no. studios. And then all the other studios. So, so they don't get the idea of V, but Netflix does. Cause these are published by Netflix, right? These are Netflix published, uh, apps, right? So they get that idea fee that ties to the user ID right now. If you could take that engine, this personalization engine that was worth six years ago, a billion dollars a year to Netflix in reducing churn. And you could just sort of project that out into this other portfolio of content. I think there's a lot more value to be extracted from that than you would get through serving ads, selling, selling attention in the Netflix core product. Right. And yeah. so that was my point. So I kind of, I, I agree with Ben that there's a big opportunity for revenue here. I disagree that that's the best way to use that engagement. I think the best way is to just expand the content portfolio, um, across not just gaming either, but they could wrap this around, you know, other types of utility apps, other types of streaming apps. I mean, they could build a content portfolio that goes, that goes far beyond just the Netflix hey, core Eric, app. There's, there's some was, awkwardness there. Um, Maybe I have this wrong, but my assumption is with the games that they're launching right now, right? These, they, their goal is not monetization of these games, which is where the the yeah. um, Apple Arcade um, comp comes from, right? And then also yeah. that the in order to play them, you have to have a Netflix subscription, right? Right. But but Correct. exactly. Am I getting your recommendation right? Because I think I would be on on board with it if okay, we move those games outside of the content fortress in terms of the subscription right like you can play these games regardless if you own the subscription or not you place promotion yeah. services within it which then becomes you know personalized content where based on your engagement based on what we we know of you we start to advertise content within our fortress or or the the content itself right to then try to upsell as many people right. into the, the subscription so games don't become a conscious content fortress value right is not something to keep people within it it's actually built to upsell people within it is that the right interpretation of what you're talking about or is that completely different well no, no sorry so I, I skipped i skipped that part so my my recommendation in the piece was yeah make yeah. this free to play get rid of the gate absolutely from, with the absolutely get rid of the gate yeah open up open up the economy but then no it'd still be a content fortress though because yeah. they'd own the contents that, that'd be first if they're publishing it themselves it's first party yeah. content 
right? They have total they have they have total access to all the data yeah. that gets like emitted within those games. They can feed that into the personalization engine, and they can build a big cross promo network across all that content to keep people yeah. in the fortress, right? Including driving people into the Netflix yeah. subscriptions, right? So gaming is a much bigger surface area to attract yeah. new people into than just the Netflix core app, which like I don't. To, to my mind, like in, in, in markets like the U.S., probably U.K., Canada, you're not winning new subscriptions. You're just sort of recycling old churners, yeah, right, yeah. at this point. Um, so my sense is, like, if you really wanted to acquire new users into the Netflix subs, the, the way to do that is not to say, hey, well, also with the sub, you get access to games. It's to build a content mm -hmm. fortress, use that as surface area to bring yeah. new people into your orbit and then push them into the funnel for the Absolutely Netflix sub. I absolutely agree with that, that if strategy. You, um, um, I think where my, my mind is their current strategy feels like apple arcade right where they need to move yeah. to is more like app loving where i think when you when you spoke I, my right. interpretation was like they are currently app loving which i don't think they are no 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 no, no. that's my point they need to move in that direction the, the only reason i say it's not apple arcade is because it's not all published in one yeah, app true, right that's what true. apple arcade is there's one app you've got an arcade app what they're doing is no. not they've, they're publishing these to stand you download individual yeah but like it's it's apple so there's the apple exactly. arcade tab if we assume oh, the tab, tab is the app one then, tab. Sure. i see but, but okay the, sure. i completely agree sense. there that you you use games with what they're great at especially these like hyper casual games that they're adding right which is just exactly. exposure you get so many people and of course netflix has touched so many people um, already converted some of them, but there is a probably a large amount of people that have churned from these services, right? You may as well try to find a way to to, to f get a touch point with them again through games, and then find ways to pull them back yep. into your your system. This makes exactly way more sense than what they have, and I think could be something that is actually way more measurable. Um, like the tough part about the Apple Arcade system within Netflix is then how do you measure the incremental uplift to that subscription? within these games themselves, right? Like, how do you make sure that as Verdue or as this gaming system, you're like, hey, we are adding value to the subscription, right? Versus if these things are touch points pulling players in, you're like, look, we have a, we have this ad network within all of these games that exist that are open to all these people. Here is the exact number of DAU that we have exposure to, conversions to, to right. the subscriptions. This becomes like a real P&L that you can, you can broadcast to the company and say games is a valuable pillar to this business. Absolutely makes sense to me. Right. And you get and all, all that data. All that data is uh, able to be utilized yep. by you. So you can feed it back into the personalization yep. engine, right? Because all that data is first party yep. data. Exactly. To you. Yep. So if you so play, I, if you play I, a game a certain a way, guess what? That could actually be a decent signal um, for what t content that you consume otherwise. Yeah, maybe, 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 or it just pushes you into another yeah, game yeah. like that, right? So, but I think Netflix is 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 gobbling up yep. studios now, right? And I, I don't think the current model just doesn't make any sense. And and you know, because you, all you're trying to do there is say, hey, the value prop for the Netflix sub is you get all these games. Look at all these cool games. But the, I feel, those feel like two sort of like completely independent audiences, right? I doubt the overlap is that extreme. What you'd want to do is you you want to use this as like a feedback loop, get more data feed the personalization engine, move people throughout the games side of the business if that's what they want, but then also some of them you could funnel into the, net, into the Netflix subscription in that way and not the other way around. Get the Netflix subscription to funnel yep. them into the games. Yep. Cool. Ethan, you, you constantly were trying to interject. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I wrote, I wrote about a lot of this last year on the Deconstructor of Fun blog when the Netflix games thing was first announced. And uh, my, my take... Um, on, I like I like thinking of Netflix as operating an ad network, and my insight in the blog piece was 
Um, they are using that ad, ad network to create brand value for other people's brands. Like my kids know about Sonic. They know about Pokemon. They know about Transformers. They know about Marvel all because of Netflix. And these are brands that my children are going to have like cradle to the grave relationships with because I have too. And so my feeling is the big mistake they're making in uh, invest in when in the games is that I view the games as a way of either generating new IP that have these long-term scopes like Pokemon or of extending the value of an IP that you've grown. And I don't think they have a lot of good IP currently in their shows that lend themselves to games. So my, my, yeah. Uh, my my uh, my insane idea was that uh, they should use the combination of gaming and their ad network to make new uh, brands that start as kids brands, but that are intended to be the next Marvel, Disney, Poke, you know, Paw the next Patrol, Star Wars, like the, the next real... Marvel comics, the next Pokemon. <laughs> Paw Patrol, but... but like the mature Marvel version. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's no re- like uh, uh, Netflix brings value to other brands by introducing new customers to it when there's no reason my kids have never watched anything that needs to be that transformers you know that that hasbro runs why is netflix creating brand value for hasbro instead of having its own new robot show that it intends to grow into a transmedia license over 30 years that's my insane idea (laughs) sorry right um i think we've ripped on each other enough (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah. i uh i'll go back i'll listen to the tape and if i'm wrong i will uh i will and uh, super send out that uh, actually... sensor tower report as well so we can cover that next time I mean, go search for it man yeah, what am i your exactly. secretary please google that for me <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding me man just go sensor tower <laughs> report okay sensor tower report all right. All right, guys. Virtual group hug. <laughs> See you guys next week. <laughs> See ya. All right. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.